2: I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Monday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Julia Boorstin. Carl and Deidre are off. Uh, Today, stocks are lower across the board. The major averages on pace for their fifth down day in the past six. Peloton, Chinese stocks, Tesla, among the worst performers, plus EV stocks falling on what is now the unlikely passage of the Build Back Better bill. The new investment landscape for those names. And then LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman is with us this hour. We're going to talk metaverse, crypto, and where he's investing in 2022.
0: Julia. Let's start off with today's sell off, the Dow down more than 600 points. Mike Santoli is back with us. Mike, tell us what you're watching right now.
1: Yeah, Julia, another pressure point, obviously, from all the news over the weekend about this other COVID wave, coming on top of this sense of fiscal and monetary tightening into 2022, just weighing on what was the optimism trade about the economy. And the difference this time versus prior COVID waves is there's not a lot of optimism uh, being translated back into large cap uh, tech stocks as there was once before. Now, here's the Nasdaq composite, which looks a little bit of a struggle here. It's actually below uh, that orange line where it was in early September. The S&P Itself is kind of right around those areas, so it's been underperforming. The Apple had until recently been essentially almost single-handedly holding things up, keeping it from breaking down. Obviously. Apple, with a little bit of a pullback from that really vertical move that it had, obviously in a much better position than the rest of the markets, you know, not too far off of old high, still has a little bit of momentum, but it shows you how dependent the Nasdaq had become on all that. We have Oracle in the news, obviously, uh, looking close to making another decent-sized software merger. One of the sub-themes of this market, at least lately, has been a selected group of old tech stocks like Oracle, Uh, as well as things like uh, Hewlett-Packard and others, uh, and here you see also Dell, have done quite well relative to the NASDAQ 100, which, of course, is more of a FANG-like index. This isn't uh, applicable to everything. IBM, Intel have not really performed in line with these, but it does show you how we've come to a stage where more reliable cash flows matter a fair bit. Starting with a low valuation uh, before this move, a lot of those companies were relative to, uh, to where things were again. So, again, we're seeing people's optimism about the secular winners wane at the same time that the economy, uh, perhaps the outlook wobbles a little bit. And that tells us why we are in the fix that we're in. Guys, still just down like five percent, though, uh, from an all time high on the S&P 500.
0: Yeah, Mike, we really are seeing a divergence, you know, within the tech sector. And I'm wondering, you know, as you look at some of these companies that really benefit from the stay at home play and the fact that the Omicron news is so concerning, despite those concerns, we're not seeing those stocks move higher across the board in the way that they did typically move in tandem with that COVID news. What do you expect from that and those stocks going
1: forward? that's that's a real a big divide between this episode and the prior ones because almost nobody really believes that we are going to go down to some indefinite hunkering down work from home mode. Uh, So at the same time that consumers have a little bit of hesitation, travel plans getting canceled, maybe there's going to be a delayed back to office. That whole game of just paying almost any price for those companies that facilitate a work from home, stay at home lifestyle. I think we've learned that they, they overshot to the upside and there's just not as much kind of sponsorship for that idea. And you also have to keep in mind, guys, when momentum breaks in kind of very highly valued growth stocks where momentum is kind of your selling point, it's tough to gather it back, even though a lot of the Nasdaq is getting pretty sold out right now, if you look below the surface. Yeah,
2: sure is. We're we're showing here we're near or just about at session lows on the Dow, uh, down uh, more than 670 points. It translates to almost 2%. Mike, you pointed out how uh, big tech has largely held up, not in every case, but largely held up better than uh, some of tech overall. Is that when M&A tends to happen in this kind of environment? I mean, we're going to be talking about Oracle's bid to buy Cerner for just over 28 billion. But uh, these are companies that have some cash and it looks like the prices are coming down.
1: Yeah, I would say to the, to the degree that that is palatable from a regulatory front, the ingredients are absolutely there. Uh, it reminds me, John, a little bit of a, a somewhat paler version of the post 2000 peak where I remember, you know, in that bear market for tech uh, in the early 2000s, it was common to see some of these kind of fallen angel type tech stocks to be trading below the cash on the books. So, yes. There will be an M&A phase out of this. You don't know if it's going to be kind of a mop-up phase or very opportunistic strategic moves to say, hey, we finally have a chance to latch on to a really good growth trend if you're one of these bigger companies uh, and get some, you know, acceleration in those areas and still pay a premium. I think it's going to happen. I don't know if that's going to be the the thing that tactically gets us uh, to to sort of regroup here in the markets in the next week or two.
2: Indeed. Uh, Mike Santoli, thank you. Uh, as we just mentioned, Oracle officially announcing what would be its biggest ever acquisition. The software giant plans to buy medical records company Cerner, an all-cash deal for about $95 a share, which would be about $28.3 billion in equity value. That deal would be expected to close in calendar year 2022, one of the biggest in a record year for MA and a reporting U.S. mergers have nearly doubled in 2021 to more than $2.5 trillion. This deal would cap off a year of gains for Oracle, the stock up more than 40 percent year to date. Um, Julia, it's an interesting one in particular. I remember that transformative deal, not just for Oracle, but for uh, all of tech. Uh, Oracle PeopleSoft back almost 20 years ago, it was just over a third uh, of this amount that Oracle paid around 10 billion.
0: Yeah, that was a long time ago now, John. But I think what's so interesting here is yes, this deal helps Oracle as it continues its pivot towards the cloud, but also health tech. We cannot underestimate the, the opportunity in health tech right now and the fact that the pandemic has really shed a light on how much of the healthcare system still needs to be digitized, still needs to be brought into the cloud. And so many efficiencies that are, are there that, that need to be seized in this moment right now where we're also relying on the healthcare system, John.
2: Well, let's talk more about this. Where do you focus in this environment? Joining us now on where he sees opportunity, Wedbush Securities Head of Technology and Media Trading, Joel Kalina. Joel, good morning. Let's start off with Oracle here. Uh, I'm kind of drawing a parallel to PeopleSoft almost 20 years ago. That was really focused on HR. This is a more industry-specific bid, but it also has implications outside of healthcare because there's DoD contracts involved with Cerner and the sort of technology you need in health tech these days is translatable to other areas as we heard from Microsoft in its bid for Nuance earlier this year, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you know Oracle obviously investors aren't loving this deal in the near term. Um, you know, it's been one of those things. Oracle's they, they've tapped the debt market to really kind of you know fund their buyback you know r- you know range that they've been on for the past several years. So the all all cash deal. Is a little bit, you know, kind of uh, taken negatively, and obviously is probably going to impact our credit rating. But as as you just touched on, I mean, Microsoft really kicked things off, you know, with the Nuance deal, and as Julia just kind of t- described, you know, really eloquently as well. You know, there's a lot of in- in- inefficiencies in in the healthcare industry, and and it's not digitized yet. We need to head to that direction, and I think Oracle. You know, is trying to go, you know, move, move to where the puck is going, and and to me, healthcare is a huge opportunity with a massive TAM moving forward. So the deal, I think, longer term is going to it's going to play out, you know, going to make a lot of sense from a strategic point of view. And then obviously, it follows a you know their quarter they put up just a few weeks ago, which to me was was really strengthening their case to be the next Microsoft. I know it's still very early, but the rev is starting to grow at a healthy clip. Margins were very strong as well. So Oracle's finally it feels like they're turned the corner amongst all those dinosaur kind of tech names and they're kind of heading in the right direction to maybe where you know Microsoft was just seven years ago.
2: So tell me what's your philosophy on what to buy in this environment? It seems to me yep. a big question is what happens to demand from here? We've been spending most of 2021 talking about supply, supply issues. But now, especially that we're not going to get this build back better thing for better yep. or for worse. We're starting to get recalculations of what that means for demand, which I guess has uh, you know questions for, for revenue and growth. Right.
3: Yeah, I mean, I know, uh, you know, it's kind of someone mentioned it on the on the previous hour about about this being a stock pickers market. And it's really never been truer. Um, I mean, and to me, I think the biggest issue for tech is the, is the shift from the Fed and global and global central banks. You know, that that's the big difference this time. COVID is viewed as an inflation tailwind versus a, a growth headwind. Um, and, and that's where high growth. High multiple tech stocks are going to struggle, and the Kathy Woods of the world and, and the profitless tech names. I think they're, they're, the bid's going to be uh, it's going to be spotty to say the least. So I think when I'm talking to my clients, I keep a little bit more defensive. So that's whether it's Microsoft and Google, large cap spectrum. Look at IT services. Look what Accenture put up last week. Extreme, you know, robust uh, trends across the board. Visibility continues to kind of increase. And to me, we're still in the early part of a multi-year cycle towards digital transformation initiatives. So names like Accenture, Infosys, you know, globant they really benefit from this digital transformation trend. And they all, they're not they're not crazy expensive. And then, you know, moving down a little bit to the semiconductors again, look at Marvell. Here, here's a company exposed to multiple secular trends, whether it's enterprise storage, 5G, cloud infrastructure, and then kind of just semi-equipment. They are the arms dealers for almost every secular trend we can kind of list off, whether it's EV, AI, 5G. And I think you just want to keep it simple, not overthink it. But I'm very cautious on the high-flying multiple stocks that really outperformed in 2020. They've been struggling this year, and I expect the struggle to continue.
0: So, Joel, name some names. Which are the companies that are your top sells right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a long long list of them, but at the top is kind of Robinhood. Um, I know it's not pure tech name per se, but obviously here's a a company that really got, you know, was at the heart of the meme frenzy that we saw, which to me, um, you know, kind of led to the overestimation of its valuation and growth trajectory. And I think data all points to kind of continued declines for a name like like Robinhood. Peloton was kind of uh, out there as a work from home play. People aren't rushing to buy new bikes. And and more importantly, I think a more of a a techie name, DocuSign. You know, last quarter was a disaster. um, And what they kind of confessed was that pandemic tailwinds, uh, they faded a lot faster than they expected and clearly faster than than the investment community expected as well. So DocuSign is kind of one of my work from home darlings, which which I think you can't touch it uh, for at least one to two more quarters.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, DocuSign, and Peloton were two stocks that really benefited from the stay-at-home trade, uh, also the work-from-home trade. You know, We started off the show talking with our colleague Mike about the fact that we're now not seeing those stocks necessarily react yep. to the negative news about the Omicron variant the, variant the way that they used to. I'm wondering how you're watching this latest COVID news. How does Omicron impact your outlook for these tech stocks?
3: Yeah, I mean, as I said, I don't think, uh, unlike kind of other waves, you're not seeing a rush uh, to kind of buy these stocks. And unfortunately, in in a depressing way, uh, you know, I've I've been a vocal bear of Zoom for quite some time now, probably going back to last November. That's probably the one stock that benefits. So I'm happy to you know slap a trading buy on it for for the next kind of quarter or so because you do think it does get we do get it does feel like the schools are going to start going to you know shift the remote learning to some degree, which is obviously my fear and a lot of other parents' biggest fear as well heading into 22. Um, but that's probably one company that does benefit. You know, the, the the sky was falling on them just a couple you know a month or two ago. Um, as our last print was just a disaster, they probably get a near-term boost from kind of offices shutting back down, schools potentially doing more of a hybrid kind of uh, setup as well. So, if you had to pick one on the buy side, it would be Zoom. But in terms of all the other names, whether it's been DocuSign, Peloton, uh, Cloudflare, Fastly, I, th- I think they're going to struggle for at least one to two quarters, especially as as kind of the the, the Fed and, and, and policies the number one headwind for these stocks in the bigger bigger picture.
2: Yeah. Here we go again with Dow, S&P, yep. and NASDAQ all down about 1.8% as you're saying that. Joel Kalina, thank you.
3: Thanks, guys. Take care.
0: Yeah, I really hope that they keep those schools open. Um, as John mentioned, we see the Dow down nearly 1.9%, S&P down one8 and the NASDAQ down 1.85%. We're joined by LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman. That's coming up after the break. You don't want to miss that. Tech Check is just getting started.
2: Let's get a gut check on the chips. Rosenblatt calling the current environment the mother of all cycles, saying the compound annual growth rate for semiconductors will move from 4%, where it's been over the last decade, to 8 to 10% in the coming years. Also adding past valuation methods won't be helpful in determining how far these stocks can run. Rosenblatt naming Micron, Marvell, and NVIDIA top picks, while saying AMD is the best two to three year play. Julia?
0: John, as we head into the end of the year, we're talking to some top investors about where to look into 2022. A few of the hottest Silicon Valley areas for growth include the metaverse, Web3 and crypto. All of those things kind of intertwined. And our next guest is an investor in all three of those areas. Joining us now is Reid Hoffman. He's co-founder of LinkedIn and a partner at Greylock. Reed, always so great to see you, and so um, we're so grateful to get your insights. I want to start off with the metaverse. This is an area that we're talking a lot about, and you are an investor in Roblox um, from the early days, which is now sort of one way to play the metaverse. How much do you think this concept of the metaverse is going to be dominant in the tech trends next year?
7: Well, it's already huge. Like For example, right now, we're speaking through the metaverse. Uh, the metaverse has been around for a while. The internet's almost a, an early version of it. Um, I myself got involved very early. My first product management job was Worlds Away, which is a Fujitsu software 2.5D animated environment. And so we're already in it, and it's already evolving, and it's already a central part of our lives. Uh, the interesting question, of course, is where to begin to approach science fiction that you see in the movies, you know, Ready Player One, other kinds of things where lots of people get into much more immersive environments. And I think you'll first see that in entertainment. I think you'll first see that as, hey, when 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 um, kind of like 3D games or 3D hangout spaces become more of a like a concert, uh, you know, something else become more present there, then I think they will see more. But I think there's going to be a ton of investment in it over, you know, I think we're in another huge cycle of it.
0: But, Reed, so much of this depends on sort of how you define the metaverse, right? I've also read that the metaverse has to be interoperable. It's not really the metaverse. If it's not immersive, you're not wearing VR. So there are all of these different factors at play. But I want to ask you about the company formerly known as Facebook, now Meta, which you also invested in in the early days. What do you make of its pivot to focus on the metaverse? And do you think that Facebook is going to be, or sorry, Meta is going to be the dominant platform? when it comes to the metaverse?
7: So obviously they have a lot of raw assets, uh, you know, billions of people, a lot of communications, a lot of identity and presence. Part of the whole Web 2 was identity and your real identity put online. So I think there's a lot of something they've been investing in it with Oculus. Um, the Oculus device is a very good device. And I think they, that they're one of the drivers of this. On the other hand, I don't think that the, I think the real cases will come down to use cases. It'll come down to what are people using? The reason I was gesturing at entertainment, which doesn't seem to be exactly what Meta is focused on, it's more focused on a new communications environment, you know, thinking that uh, the metaverse will be the thing past your phone. Um, and a little bit of what I was gesturing at is I actually think your phone is already the metaverse, and, and it's the iterations of a phone, not actually, in fact, we're all wearing goggles, you know, in March of next year, even though with, of course, fears of Omicron and all the rest, which are very legitimate and founded... You end up with that oh well, maybe we're gonna all move to the metaverse sooner and it's like no like we like seeing each other you know uh, uh, you know three million of our four million neural uh, inputs come from our eyes, which a lot has to do with looking at people's faces and so I think that that's the, 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 the uh, uh, that's the reason why I think it will require this kind of entertainment other kinds of, of jumps before we get to well is it a communications platform
2: Yeah, which is why I, I like looking at you, Reed. I don't want to see your avatar. Uh, As cute as I'm sure it is, but I I won't go down the metaverse rabbit hole. The viewers know how I feel about that. Some some good stories in there, but uh, overhyped overall. I actually want to talk about health tech. You're on the board of Microsoft. Microsoft in the process of buying Nuance. Oracle has announced uh, its bid for Cerner. And give me your sense on what the real important investing trends are here around companies in health tech that are regulated. They need technology that's accurate. There's a lot of spending. Uh, The 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 impact is potentially big. Uh, Why the investments in health tech and, and where should that go?
7: Uh, well, we've been seeing a lot of it uh, actually even before the pandemic. Uh, you know, for example, at Greylock, we invested in Lyra and so forth because, you know, uh, better to be lucky, the Uh the issues around mental health and everything else we thought was a huge area to grow and, and Lyra with David Ebersman was a great way to do that. But I think that the, 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 the silver lining to what is otherwise the thunderstorm of the pandemic um, is the fact is like, look, we need to have innovation. So we're opening up some of the regulatory things. We're allowing telemedicine. We're allowing precision medicine. Obviously, we should get faster with the release of mRNA boosters and so forth. And so the entire venture industry sees that because previously it was somewhat clogged from a, uh, well, you know, because regulation isn't just the slow product development. It's also slow go to market, makes it much more expensive, makes all the risk factors much higher. And the fact that it's like, look, we need innovation here is causing a bunch of innovation on the areas that I've been paying a lot of attention to. Are obviously digital. It's kind of like, where, where does the internet and, and health uh, precision uh, medicine? Where does it tie to AI uh, in order to, um, uh, kind of, you know, uh, bring in new, you know, therapeutics, uh, you know, obviously, a pandemic, but also uh, across a wide variety of elements. And obviously, I'm serving on the CZI Biohub, where we're trying to, uh, you know, fix infectious disease.
0: Reid, you mentioned uh, regulation. Another area where you're invested, where regulation could have a big impact is cryptocurrency. You know, I'm looking at the cryptos today, Bitcoin down almost 1.5%, Ethereum down 2.5%. You're in Coinbase, you're in a number of NFT plays What's your current outlook when it comes to cryptocurrencies particularly in light of regulation?
7: Well, so I'm one of these people who's both very bullish on crypto and bullish on regulation and government involvement. Like I think the two of them together is is super important. And to to get a sense of how important this kind of web3o and this in and this kind of financial infrastructure is Part of the prosperity that is unlocked in the entire modern world is creating new financial instruments to be able to allocate capital to, you know, which projects you build and and what new uh, and and how do you direct labor and all the rest and actually financial infrastructure. I mean, to to make it tangible, like credit cards greatly uh, increase uh, commerce because you can buy things and 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 and, it, and it's now available and you can do things online and everything else. Well. The Web3 kind of revolution is a similar thing. It's like, well, maybe we'll make banking a lot cheaper, and and now billions of people in the world who are not in the bank system could become in the bank system, and you could have more global commerce, Uh, smart contracts in terms of the ability to do uh, anything from uh, assets and hedging uh, to to kind of the, the way that purchases, or even escrow might even begin to see, you know, some kind of purchases more commonly. So there's all this kind of innovation, and what we're seeing is this ton of of developers? Like, if you kind of like, one of the things we do as venture people is we look at, you know, where are all the developers going? Where, the, where, where? When when someone graduates from, you know, Stanford or MIT, you know, what are they, what are they going to go work on? And there's a huge amount of work on Web three and crypto. So that means that there's a lot of future possibilities. Now, of course, with the gesture of regulation, one of the things, of course, that matters is this has to work for society. This has to work for, you know, you have to not have you have to. To, to make ransomware hard. You have to make criminal activity hard. Um, and I think that's part of the evolution I'm hoping to see within Web3 is all the benefits and then more of the, the, the turning the knobs on making regulation and, and, and the criminal activity, regulation easier and better and the criminal activity worse.
0: Fascinating stuff. Reed. we always love getting your insights and great to talk to you today about Web3, Metaverse, and of course, cryptocurrency. Thanks so much and happy new year.
7: Thanks. Happy New Year.
2: After the break, why City is staying constructive on software. We will break down what it says are the most debated names. Some of those stocks have cratered over the last month. Meanwhile, the major averages remain down about 1.7 to 1.8%. That's the Dow, the S&P and NASDAQ. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to Tech Tech. I'm Julia Borston with John Fort. Stocks selling off this morning, getting a check on some of the biggest laggards on the Nasdaq 100. Peloton down 9 percent. Pinduoduo off six. Trip.com down 5 percent, along with JD.com and Align Technology off just more than 4 percent. We'll have more on this morning's sell-off in just a moment. But first, let's get a news update with Frank Holland.
6: Hey, good morning, Julia. Here are your headlines at this hour. Shares of Moderna have given back their 7% pre-market spike. That early gain was triggered by the company's announcement that a third dose of its COVID vaccine provides significant protection against the Omicron variant. It also made a case for the government to allow a larger booster, saying doubling the dose produces more than two times the antibodies, but it also acknowledged what it called a trend toward a slightly more frequent adverse reaction from that increased dose. Carnival is higher, although it's also lost ground from an early spike. The cruise company says while the Omicron variant has affected some near-term bookings, it still plans to have all of its ships sailing by the spring. That's helping other cruise stocks, including Royal Caribbean, even though at least 48 passengers on one of its ships tested positive for COVID. And Starbucks has told workers at one of its Buffalo stores it will bargain in good faith with their newly formed union. In a letter, the company said it would still prefer a more direct partnership with its employees, but it will respect this decision. John, that's the latest. Back over to you, Frank. Thank you. Meanwhile, the
2: Massachusetts attorney general just now announcing the indictment of a Russian national and a multimillion dollar scheme that I guess involves insider trading and hacking. Eamon Javers got that for us.
8: Yeah, that's right, John. This just breaking within the past couple of minutes. Officials in Massachusetts, including from the Department of Justice and the FBI, announcing the arrest and indictment of a Russian national who's been extradited to the United States from Switzerland. They say the Russian national's name is Vladislav Klyushin. He was arrested in Switzerland on March 22nd, extradited to the United States on December 18th, and charges were unsealed against him just this morning. The Department of Justice is saying that he engaged in a long-running scheme along with four other men who also also been charged here, but are, but are at large, in order to hack uh, into uh, computers in the United States, uh, obtain inside information from American companies, and trade on various exchanges based on that inside information be- before it becomes public. The Department of Justice explaining it this way. Take a listen.
4: They hacked
2: U.S. networks, stole inside information, and cheated honest investors out of millions of dollars.
8: Now, the Department of Justice is referring to, the, to this person that they've extradited as somebody who is a Russian national with extensive ties to the office of the president of the Russian Federation. That is Vladimir Putin himself. So that on its own sort of makes this an intriguing case. And we're going to get more detail now in terms of exactly how this case uh, unfolded over the course of several years. The Department of Justice and the FBI saying here uh, that these Russian nationals profited to the tune of tens of millions of dollars from what is apparently a long-running scheme here to hack into these computer systems and obtain this material non-public information before it's released to the general public. John, back over to you.
2: Wow, Eamon. Sometimes they hack the data and hold it hostage as ransomware. Sometimes they trade on it. Eamon Jabbers. Now, let's take a deep dive on the software sector, which has been hit hard as a group. Our next guest is staying constructive. It says it's more important than ever to choose the winners as investors get picky. Joining us now, City analyst Tyler Radke. Tyler, welcome. Um, Interesting balance of risks here. You've got a comparison with the S&P, which has been kind of propped up with bigger tech. And and you think some of uh, certain software names look attractive here versus that?
9: Yes, that's right. And, and thanks so much for having me. Good morning and, and happy holidays. So, you know, I think as, as, as you mentioned, you know, the S&P earnings growth by and large has been, you know, the, the outsized contribution has come from some of these large tech firms like the Salesforce.coms, the the Microsofts, the ServiceNows. And if you kind of strip out the, the non-tech names, um, you know, the revenue growth and earnings growth is significantly lower than obviously, the, the software sector. And so, you know, we think if you take a step back and you look at a name like Microsoft, for instance, you're, you're not paying two times the valuation multiple as you are for the S&P, but you're getting more than two times the revenue growth and earnings growth. And you know, we just think, as you look at what's happened throughout prior downturns, the, the resiliency of software ha- has definitely held up. And, and so, we think that can continue to take the sector higher into next year.
2: Tyler, though, I wonder, what's Normal. Some of these valuations are pretty high, both for big tech in the S&P and for the likes of MongoDB and uh, Snowflake, even though they've come off a bit. So what qualifies as an attractive entry point when we don't know what demand is really going to look like in 22?
9: Yeah, so it's a tough question, right? What's about calling the bottom in, in the hypergrowth you know, software sector, you know, I think if you focus on fundamentals, um, you know, companies that we expect to have, you know, robust selling conditions next year, maybe driven by company specific, you know, business models that are seeing reaccelerating growth, you know, we think those are the names you want to own. Um, You know, for instance, you you mentioned MongoDB and Snowflake, Um, you know, those are names that we think can really differentiate themselves versus the rest of the sector, um, you know, they, they kind of play into this theme around the, the refactoring or uh, recreation of, of companies' uh, data architectures, which, based on our work, we think is going to be a really important theme next year. And, you know, our analysis suggests that both these companies can sustain, uh, you know, devaluations in their forward revenue multiple and still outperform just because revenue growth is is so much higher Um, And so we think that those are names that, um, you know, look interesting here on the pullback.
0: Tyler, in your note, you talk about the most debated names, the most controversial names in the sector and Salesforce is one of them. Tell us a little bit about this category and where you come down on some of these stocks and what it'll take to convince you that a Salesforce, which is down 2% today, could be a buy going into next year.
9: Yeah. So Salesforce has been an interesting one. I think investors have historically been concerned around the lack of margin expansion. And what we saw at their analyst day this year in, in September uh, was a really strong message on expanding margins, You know, pursuing some kind of sustainable cost cuts that should lead to really strong uh, margin expansion next year. The issue was when they reported uh, their earnings in, in November, uh, you got the margin expansion, but growth came in a little bit lower than expected. And so It just kind of feels like the company hasn't been able to string together both the growth and margin expansion. Um, So that's what we're really looking forward uh, to in in the next year. Um, You know, right now we think there's there's better opportunities uh, at at other names. And so we have a neutral rating. But, um, you know, we're, we're kind of looking for that organic growth plus margin expansion at Salesforce.
0: Two of your other controversial names are ones that we've been talking about today. Zoom and DocuSign, you know, we've been asking this question of whether the names that benefited from stay at home trade and the pandemic are going to see a positive impact from this Omicron wave. And I'm curious if your outlook is impacted by this slew of news about how, how bad Omicron could be um, or if it's impacting your perspective at all.
9: Yeah, so I think it's 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 still a little early to fully assess the impacts, but I think you know one thing is that's clear is we're not going back to you know the, the early lockdown days of the pandemic, and while uh, you know I think Zoom is going to be an important uh, technology going forward, I, I don't know that these you know various waves of, of COVID are necessarily having a significant impact on the way that people are purchasing this technology. Um, you know, as you as you mentioned, DocuSign. Uh, obviously, they had a really disappointing uh, uh, quarter here. And you know, we, we still like DocuSign over Zoom. We think that growth story is a little bit earlier uh, in its you know, stage of expansion. We think they're facing a less competitive market. You have uh, Zoom, for instance, that's going up against Microsoft Teams. Um, and so you know, we think on a relative basis that uh, DocuSign uh, is the better play here. All right. Tyler, thank you. Thank you.
2: Turning now to supply chain struggles, I spoke with Honeywell CEO Darius Adamchik late last week about how tightening supply, inflation pressures, and Omicron are affecting business right now.
10: The inflationary environment certainly here. Um, I would say we we saw it already in Q3. I would tell you that in Q4 it's accelerated, and you know it's certainly been an exciting operating environment because you combine. Inflation, you combine with some of the supply chain challenges, freight and logistics, uh, it makes it for a very, very uh, challenging operating environment. You know, the, the good news is that we expected uh, some of this. So, you know, we are prepared and and we are doing our best to mitigate um, as much as we possibly can. And I think the Honeywell teams are doing a great job. So, you know, the, the, the story doesn't really change that much. I mean, the demand environment continues to be superb. Uh, Demand is is running hot, And, you know, now it's really just a kind of battle. And and we're using a series of tactics to really mitigate the inflation and really to mitigate some of the supply chain challenges.
2: We'll see what happens with demand in 22, Julia. But uh, Adamchik also talking about sustainability as being a really important theme, um, you know, noting Honeywell's technologies around energy. I actually have more on that in a working lunch segment tomorrow on Power Lunch.
0: I will be curious to see that, John. I do think that a lot of companies right now are focused on sustainability and this issue of supply chain and sustainability. The Obviously, the pandemic has really shown a light on those. I thought it was interesting that he said they, they anticipated this. I think the supply chain issues have probably been a lot worse uh, than anyone anticipated, but uh, certainly would sound prescient if they could look around corners there.
2: Yeah, and to some degree. They anticipated it. We've been in this pandemic environment for quite a while, and companies have had time to make adjustments. Over the next few weeks, we'll see to what degree they're able to use the plays that they've drawn up in those playbooks over the last several quarters uh, for the variants and challenges ahead, Julia.
0: Yeah, let's hope those challenges aren't too bad, John. Meanwhile, AT&T is the rare stock, and the green today upgraded to overweight at Barclays. They say telecom is better positioned than cable next year. The price target goes to $30. Read more about that call and others like it on cnbc.com slash pro. We'll be right back.
2: The Nasdaq moments ago touched lows of the session. It was down just over 2 percent. You can see it's rebounded a bit. The Dow and S&P both down uh, about 1.8, 1.9 percent. Julia?
0: Publicly traded automakers all moving lower over the weekend. Senator Joe Manchin said he won't support the Build Back Better bill. With passage now unlikely, there could be big implications for EVs and EV stocks. Phil LeBeau is looking at that market impact.
4: Phil? Hey, Julia, remember the, the Build Bank Better plan? That has in it the uh, allocation of greater incentives for electric vehicle purchases. In fact, when you look at what might be on the table, if this is ever revived... The Build Back Better plan called for $12,500 per union-built EV in the U.S., $7,500 per union-built for per non-union-built EV, and those would be applied at the dealership. That's important because the current federal tax credit, you take it on your federal taxes Many people believe it's nice, but it's not the same as if you were at a dealership and say, hey, take 12500 off of the price of that vehicle. The real question is, what will this do to the adoption of electric vehicles? It has been increased in terms of what analysts are expecting. Now, this is LMC Automotive. Most are generally in line with this forecast of EV sales topping $2 million by 2025. But remember, not all automakers right now are able to offer EV incentives, You can't do it with Tesla. You can't do it with General Motors. Both of them have already used their allocation under the current formula for federal tax credits, so you do not get to apply those there. State credits, local, that's different, um, but on the federal basis, they're not there. We asked Mark Royce, the president of General Motors, does the lack of an EV expansion, Credit expansion, if Build Back Better, if it dies, this is what he said last week about how they're planning for it with or without uh, the Build Back Better bill going through.
7: That plan is is very much um, not fully dependent on that, but it is an accelerant, and I think that's the way to look at it. And that's the key.
4: It is an accelerant, and it is not there right now. Now, it could come back if there is some way that the Build Back Better plan, in some fashion or parts of it, John, are put into a bill that is ultimately passed, and we see greater EV incentives. But right now, it's not there. And then the real question becomes, what do we expect for EV sales without those expanded incentives over the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, and Phil, what have you seen happening With EV stocks, I mean, it looks to me like Rivian was once up at around 179 a share. Today, it's off more than 6.5% at around 91 earnings, or I should say quarterly results for Rivian. Uh, Didn't inspire extra confidence. What's happening?
4: Well, with regard to Rivian itself, I think this is a case where after the IPO, a lot of people piled in well before the options kicked in and there was a lot of excitement that this was going to be the next Tesla. Look, they still may be the next Tesla in terms of coming out with a portfolio that someday could rival Tesla when it comes to electric vehicles. But it was clear that so many people piled into the stock before you could really value where the company was at. And yeah, they're having some growing pains in their report that they came out with last week. I, I think most analysts took uh, their report and said, yeah, it's a little bit weaker near term than we expected, but nothing major. Uh, And I think right now, investors are trying to figure out how exactly do you value Rivian?
2: Yeah. And I guess we'll see what this uh, sentiment around EVs, given what laws pass or don't, how that feeds into that. Phil, thank you. Speaking of business investment, a survey of the CNBC Technology Executive Council found that Omicron has not altered executives' outlook for 2022 yet. Of the 44 members surveyed, fewer than one-third said that Omicron has changed their outlook for next year a little, and none said that it changes their outlook a lot. Tech execs are excited about the outlook for a number of different technologies over the next 12 months. About 18% say they're most excited about the prospects for machine learning. 11% said no-code and low-code software. It's DevOps stocks again. Uh, Explainable AI was third at about 9%. For more, head to cnbc.com slash TEC. We're back in two.
0: Sony's Spider-Man No Way Home soaring past already high expectations. The film grossed $587 million worldwide. It actually was the second biggest opening weekend ever behind one of the Avengers movies. And that opening included more than $260 million. In the U.S. box office, that's 100 million more than expectations. I just want to point out, guys, that they raised the domestic numbers after the film did better than expected on Sunday. Now, the film benefited from a beloved superhero rave reviews and 94 percent critics score and a 99 percent positive audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And this weekend's demand does bode well for theater chains, AMC, Cinemark, and IMAX. This morning, B. Riley reiterating its buy rating on Cinemark and IMAX, saying the industry is well-positioned for a box office surge next year. It's also a win for Disney, which controls the majority of the Marvel universe, with sequels to Doctor Strange, Thor, and Black Panther all set to come out next year. Now, in another sign of the value of premium content and brands, Disney and Google's YouTube agreeing to a deal after Disney's 18 channels briefly went dark on YouTube TV over the weekend. YouTube saying that even though Disney's channels were missing for just about 40 hours, it is still applying a $15 credit to its subscribers. Disney saying, quote, we appreciate Google's collaboration to reach fair terms that are consistent with the market. Now, we can expect... A lot more battles like this one. As carriers weigh the high cost of content, especially Disney's content and ESPN, weighing that against declining ratings. So watch out for more standoffs and more blackouts, John.
2: Uh, The new reality of premium content distribution, just like the old reality of premium content distribution. And I got to say, Julia, about Spider-Man, I saw it with the family. No spoilers. But there was more cross-promotion in that movie experience than the super bowl i mean you had cross promotion to sony's (laughs) stuff morbius we've seen the trailers out there then cross promotion as you mentioned to disney stuff with doctor strange and whatnot it's becoming a very important piece of the franchise
0: it's a crucial piece of the franchise john and i guess the question is does this mean that we're only going to really be seeing superhero movies in theaters because that's what drives people out of the home off of the comfort of their couch and into a theater. So I think that is another big trend to watch. You know, we saw some of the other movies this weekend not do so well, they didn't have superheroes.
2: Yeah, I half expected a lead into an 11 p.m. newscast right after the movie, it was, it was that much. <laughs> now, if you couldn't uh, watch your favorite YouTube TV channels over the weekend, there was a pretty good alternative, Tech Check. It's also a podcast, and you can listen anytime, anywhere, even on weekends, wherever you download podcasts. We'll be back live in a moment.
0: Let's get a gut check on the Nasdaq 100. The annual reconstitution of the index took effect today before the market opened. The index itself having a rough month, down 6%, with last week being its third negative week in four. It's down 1.7% right now. Now, today, the index added six new companies, Airbnb, Fortinet, Palo Alto, Lucid, Zscaler, and Datadog. Those stocks all lower in the past month. So what did the index lose? CDW, Fox. Cerner. Good timing there, as well as Checkpoint Software, Trip.com and Insight. It is worth pointing out that of the six companies coming in, only Fortinet reports positive earnings on a GAAP basis. John, an interesting uh, trend there. So we're going to keep an eye on those and more metaverse stuff coming tomorrow, John.
2: Yes, indeed. And for now, that does it for Tech Check. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.